Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli, and I was smote on Theros for daring to say I was a better Pokemon player than the gods. <laughs> I'm Brian Darth, and I'd be smote by Heliod because I'm still mad at him for killing Elspeth, and I'd be cursing and blaspheming him up and down like the, the breadth and length of Theros. That is a great way to get yourself smote, for sure. Yep. So, uh, welcome back, everyone, to episode 90 of the Vorthos cast. We are, it's just me and Brian today. Uh, I believe Ashley's dealing with some school stuff. Um, Lorelai is at Magic Fest uh, Columbus, is it? I believe so. Along with Carrie. They, none of them will be with us this evening. So, let's dive in. Today, before we get to our main feature, this week, Wizards of the Coast has announced Secret Lair, which is of some sort of boxed product with cards, and that's about all we know of it. They're being real cagey about it. By the time you're listening to this, it might be revealed, because I believe it's being revealed on Monday or Tuesday, the week this podcast comes out, so... You probably know more about it than us at this point, but it's an intriguing bit of teases. It's also interesting that they chose this month to reveal like two mystery products. So they have Mystery Booster and Secret Lair, both of which they were teasing this month. Yeah, people have been theorizing that it might be one of those loot boxes things where maybe there's like a whole bunch of magic product in there of different types. So that'd be interesting if that's actually the case. But like I said, it is theoretical, not a not factual at this point so i would be interested in a magic loot crate something that's like a a bunch of different promos every month like if it was something like the what are those planeswalker the planeswalker deck series or whatever they're called with the specials if i i would pay 20 bucks a month to get something like that every month for sure Uh, yeah i'd be interested in something like that or maybe if they include included like maybe some interesting t-shirts magic merch things of that nature because I, yeah. I have next to i don't think i have any magic shirts or anything like that like and i would I, wear it but just don't i have an is it shirt from like 10 years ago and i well maybe more like five and i also have a the planar rangers shirt i had designed by my friend george velez oh i do have cardboard crack t-shirts Oh, yeah, fair enough. And just a reminder to our listeners, next week is Thanksgiving. Literally the day we would ordinarily record is Thanksgiving. So there will be no, uh, there'll be no podcast the week following this one. After that, we'll have one more Theros podcast. And then we will talk about War of the Spark Forsaken, which has not been well reviewed. And that's about all I can say about it, but uh, the entire cast will talk about it when we get there. Yep. So let's move on to our feature of the week, the world of Theros. So Theros as a plane is divided into three realms, essentially. Nyx, the mortal realm, and the underworld. Now Nyx is the realm of the gods. Sparkly. <laughs> yeah, you can tell things have been infused with the essence of Nyx, because they have a starry atmosphere to them. Uh, like all the shadowed portions look like the night sky. 
And Nyx appears on the mortal realm as the night sky, and they can actually see from the mortal realm the gods going about their business um, in like epic clashes in the sky. So it's the realm of the gods. It is formed essentially from the collective unconscious of the people of Theros. So uh, the gods themselves, in fact, were created by mortal belief. So it's an interesting conundrum because mortals believe in them, they created them, and then because the gods exist, they continue to feed into them. Uh, But the gods are changeable over time based on how people think about them. Uh, So, for instance, Heliod uh, is stated by Crufix to have not always been the god of the sun. Um, And we also see the character Ashiok create a kind of proto-god named Cacophony uh, that they used from the collective dreams of the people of Theros. It was supposed to be the god of the polis or the god of the city, and it was subsumed into Ephara. So uh, we learned an interesting bit about the metaphysics here. I I think it's definitely one of my favorite planes in terms of how the metaphysics work, because things mythologize there very quickly. If you ever play D&D on a Theros world, play a bard, because you can can tell people you're a god. If you go to enough cities, you can be like, don't you think it's, you can tell your DM, don't you think it's about time that that this god actually shows up? Because I've been fairly persuasive about this god and their well their their good works and whatnot <laughs> so most of this nyx magic is represented through enchantments in the game uh, and you can see the enchantment creatures are typically called nyx born uh, which means they are cr- creatures created through the magic of nyx so there's one entrance that mortals can take if they want to enter nyx and that is crufix's temple at the edge of the world which I'll talk about in just a second. Uh, to get out, and the way Nyxborn get in and out, is through the shrine in the mountains called Nykthos, which was built by a Nyxborn of the same name. So the on the other end of the spectrum there is the underworld. It's not literally underground, but it is another realm kind of like Nyx. Just like Nyx isn't literally the night sky, it just appears as the night sky. So the underworld we don't know much about yet, uh, yes. given that Theros, <laughs> the next Theros set is called Beyond Death. I imagine we'll learn a little bit more about it. Uh, the underworld is said to exist inside the five rivers that ring the world, uh, which are these five tributaries of the river Tardix, which is essentially Theros's version of the river Styx. It's the river that uh, is the boundary between the living and the dead. Uh, and what we know about it is that if you escape, and uh, if you escape, you lose your identity and return as an undead returned. And these undead returned, we'll talk more about in just a second. But other than that, we don't really know much about the underworld yet, other than that Erebos uh, oversees it, and Athreos guards the border of it and ferries mortals across after their death. Soon. um so the mortal realm itself is a uh not a round world it is a flat plain bounded by a massive waterfall around the the known edges of the world so the world literally just stops and there's a massive waterfall that drops off into nothingness i guess we don't really know uh you probably don't want to find out 
going eastward from that massive waterfall where uh, Krufix's temple is located on the very edge of the world at the horizon, uh, you will come across these coastal lands. And that is where the, pla- the, uh, the city or polis of Melitus is located. Further inside is uh, a forest land where you'll find Satessa. And beyond the forests, the mountains get larger and larger, and you have uh, Akros, the final human polis of the plane. So let's get into these three polises a little bit. So, Melitus. Melitus is Theros's Athens analog. It's typically aligned white-blue. It is the center of knowledge and learning on the plane. It's led by the Council of Twelve, which are twelve, essentially, philosophers who, who guide the city. They can sometimes take a while to act, but they are not Azorius by any means. Uh, the city was originally founded by Kinaos and Tiro. How do you say that? I, I say Kinaos and Tiro. Kinaos and Tiro. Uh, they defeated the Archon Agnamakos. Who, is, who was a tyrant who ruled over the whole Melitus region ages ago, had uh, essentially the Leonin servants be his, his military force. The humans overthrew the Archon and uh, kicked out all the Leonin for serving him. And uh, yeah, it, uh, that's about it for that, <laughs> for that story. We don't know much more about it. Uh, Kanaios, is that what you said? Kanaios, Kanaios. I can never say this. Okay, Kanaios uh, and Tiro were were lovers. They have been immortalized on the eastern and western side of the city uh, as these statues of two the two kings um, called the Guardians of Melitus. Although the the actual story behind that has been lost. It overlooks the harbor, which is super sweet. Yeah, one overlooks the harbor, and one overlooks like a land route in. So it is the coastal polis. While the city, when we're talking about Melitus or any of these cities, uh, they are city-states. So there's the main city itself, but then a lot of the outlying villages would be considered Melitus as well. They're culturally Melitus. Uh, They typically owe fealty to Melitus. Um, So if you ever see any of that, that's generally what's being referred to, not just the immediate city itself. The patron of the city is Ephara, who is said to have granted uh, the power that was needed to overthrow the Archon Tyrant. Uh, Ephara is typically represented in pretty much every building. There will be a, uh, a relief of her somewhere on the building, of her face usually. Um, and her name is often invoked to bless buildings that are being put up. Now, in Satessa, as we go a little further inland, Satessa is located in what is known as the Nessian Forest. It's the forested region between the coastal lands and the main rocky, arid mountains. It is the Themyscira analog, so it is the home of the Amazons, more or less. It is white-green aligned, and, you know, it's the center. It's kind of nature and nurture, but don't, uh, don't mess with anyone there. It is led by a woman named Anathusa. Uh, in practicality, technically, the leader of the city is Karamitra, the goddess herself, but she doesn't show up to rule on a day-to-day basis. That typically falls to the leader of one of these four towers there, of which Anathusa is the, the senior. You totally inserted an extra A there. It's just Anthusa. Anthusa! Dang it! Yeah. 
Okay. So anyway, <laughs> so Tessa is located inside the uh, the Nessian forest. Like I mentioned, their patron is uh, Karamitra. And they're an interesting society because they are matriarchal. Uh, so boys, once they reach, I believe it's the age of 10, uh, ha- have to go out on their... Um, they have to go out on like a peregrination they essentially have to go out into the world and find their way in the world they will will, uh if they return there is a section of the city that they're allowed to return to uh but they can't exist in the city proper itself from that point out they'll typically become spies for satessa or fulfill a number of other roles or will just join a different society It, it really depends um, but yeah, a Satessa will also take in orphans and, uh, raise them until a certain age. So for instance, Daxos, once his mother died, he was taken in by Satessans, uh, until he was too old and had to leave. He went to Melodus. That's right. So further inland beyond the Nessian forest and Satessa is Akros. Now Akros is the Sparta analog. Um, they are mostly white, red aligned. They are a polis that's all about martial prowess and honor. They're led by King Annex and Queen Simede. Now, <laughs> some of that. <laughs> now, some that was my son yelling in the other room. I'm not going to edit that one out. So, some of that. Uh, so, so their their rulership. Um, we're not really sure what's going to be happening with them when we return to Theros because Annex was wounded after his battle defending his city in the Theros story, which we'll talk about next time. And Queen Siamede, in order to defend Akros, uh, submits to Karanos, god of the storm, uh, and she like disappears in a pillar of, of light and fire. So we don't really know. Oh my goodness. So... <laughs> So, Akros uh, has a military force that is spread out all throughout the mountains. Uh, Typically, they have like an outer encircling layer of soldiers uh, that will keep monsters away from the city. And if anyone tries to invade, all these outer soldiers can be recalled uh, to defend the city. Their patron is Iros, god of victory. Uh, who's the honorable of the two gods. Uh, I believe you all talked about them two weeks ago, yep. the podcast. So we won't get into uh, we won't get into them very much here. Following this, there are two necropolis, which are the um, the cities of the returned. So they're called necropolises, but they are literal cities of the undead and not just figurative, like the word is usually used. There is Odunas in the mountains, which is led by Tiramet, the murder king, and uh, Asphodel on the coasts in the marshlands. Now, the patron of these cities is Phoenix, who is the god of deception, who uh, looks after them. And uh, there's one story with Ashiok where... uh, Phoenix is looking for another city for his return, and Ashiok helps Phoenix get it in exchange for invisibility from the gods. So those are just the human cities. Beyond the humans, we have the Tritons, who are the merfolk who worship Thassa. 
Uh, they typically exist in the sea, usually along the coast, but and their interactions with humanity can really vary from, from positive to negative. Uh, there are centaur, there's the Furies band, who are located kind of between the Nessian forest and the mountains. They are the very angry, warlike centaur. You, you don't want to get in their way. Uh, there's there's also the Laguna band who are the friendlier ones who typically uh, trade with Melitus and Satessa. You might find them living in those cities as well. They get along much better with the humans of the plane. Then you have the Seder of Skola Vale, which is located technically in the Nessian forest. Um, they have a lot of partying that they do. They're, they are all about the revels. If you've seen anything about the first Theros block, the main villain is a satyr planeswalker named Xenagos, who Helios. becomes the god of revels. Well, the, the, okay, the secondary villain, Heliod was the surprise villain. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll concede that. Um, we haven't seen the satyr, satyr really since, uh, Xenagos. So I'm curious to see how, how they're doing, what's up with the satyr, because, you know, they, they, their king essentially was Xenagos and he died. Are they just parting it up? Have they been ostracized from other society? What exactly is going on there? We, we, we don't really know. So then we have the Minotaur of Phoboros. So Phoboros is the badlands that exist outside of the Acroan lands, the, the lands of the, the city of Akros. Uh, a lot of bad things live there, including roving minotaur bands of these bloodthirsty minotaurs that are... They are not like the minotaur of other planes, who tend to be angry, yes, but typically honorable. noble, honorable. Yeah. Uh, they skew more red-white than anything else. Tongarth would not be pleased here. The Minotaur of the Phoboros area are bloodthirsty. They eat people. They are not honorable. They worship Mogus, uh, god of the slaughter, uh, who appears as a Minotaur himself. And they embody the uh, uglier aspects of war, or the w aspects of war... That have not been romanticized by mortals. Then finally, oh, just a side note. I also think it's cool. I had been doing research into gods uh, as this was coming up throughout all of magic. And so the on Dominaria, there are two different uh, gods of Minotaur. Did you know this, Brian? So I knew Mogus and I can't remember. Okay, so there are two gods of the Minotaur on Dominaria. One is Kindea, who is the goddess of learning to the Talrum Minotaur. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's who Tongarth was actually born under, right? And then there's Toron, who is the god of judgment. So I thought it was cool that we have multiple Minotaur gods in magic, because we also have Mogus now on, on Theros. So that's that's just a little bit of background. Yeah, I, I definitely read about them while I was doing the research for Tongarth when I was building his ADH deck for our little clash, and it completely skipped my mind until you said, because as soon as you said it, I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going through trying to find a list of all the deities in Magic, and there's like over a hundred named deities. Most of them are just throwaways from like yeah. old Magic stories, 
Um, but there's a lot of people who are worshipped in magic because if you include all the demons and angels who are worshipped, oh god, it, it gets a big. The list gets big. Ormandal. So the last group I want to talk about today is the Leonin of Theros. They're led by King Brimaz. Brimaz? How do you say, Brian? I say Brimaz. Brimaz. So they're led by Brimaz, who is a old friend of Ajani's. With some awesome art. Oh my god, I love that art. They live in a mountain region called Oreskos. Uh, they're they're kind of in exile there. They believe Melitus to be their tribal homelands, and they want to return there one day. Brimaz is working with uh, a human chronicler to hopefully influence, essentially, public opinion about the Leonin. As I mentioned before, the freeing of Melitus from the Archon Agnamakos uh, was, uh, let's say, contentious. Uh, there's a reason the Leonin now live deep within the mountains rather than on the Melitus coastal lands where they believe is their homeland. So they hope to go back there one day. Leonin in general are very honorable in this plane, uh, warriors like they are in most planes. Something to note about them, however, is that they are all essentially atheists here. While there might be a few who secretly worship the gods, the Leonin on Theros in general are not believers in the gods, in part because of Afara's role in essentially having them exiled from Melitus. So they're not too big on the gods, and they end up being good allies for Elspeth and Ajani because of that. It's so funny, in a world where the gods can do a lot, like they're they're physically present on the world, the fact that they're atheists is hilarious to me, but I also understand where they're coming from because they also realize the fact that the gods draw their power from their believers, and if you don't believe in them, they go away. So, Yeah, that's one of the cool metaphysical aspects here, too. Like, I, I really like Theros, and yeah. I'm very excited to go back to it and see what they've come up with with the cards. Uh, I have seen the story for Theros, and it's pretty good, so... We'll see that as well, but uh, I'm very excited to see the entire car card set and see what they have in store for all of us. So Can't we've wait. We've reached the end of our agenda here. So Brian, what is your favorite aspect of Theros? The metaphysics. Like I just love how the the gods <laughs> gain their power from believers and are can be. It could be very. It's I shouldn't say it's very easy. But it's easy to see how random people who have powerful forces of like they like they're charismatic and they they gain influence and like they could be elevated to godhood if they influence enough people long enough. And it's super cool to me that that could happen. And I want to know. Like, I would love to know the history, like, the ancient history, like, stuff that even... The true history? Yeah, like, how did... how Who was the first god, and what were the circumstances of their ascension, and, like, like what made Nyx Nyx? It, it's just... It's a super cool plane with a lot of cool mechanics that leaves a lot to be discovered or played around with, like... R&D or the story team, if they were so inclined, could do, like, really cool things with Theros. And 
it's super interesting to me. So Xenagos's theogenesis, when he was turned into a god through the Great Revel, opens up a lot of interesting possibilities because one, the gods could have once been mortals who were elevated to godhood, or they could be based on a real person who, uh, and so the god could have been created based on someone famous, Heliod- uh, and they believe in them to be, or they could just be a god based on like a concept or something. And I hope it's something explored more in the card set. That is definitely one of the more intriguing aspects of Theros to me, because Theros can have like contradictory myths and no one cares because of the way <laughs> things are, you know, mythologized there. Like people believe simultaneously two things that can't possibly coexist at the same time. And, you know, they have these convoluted stories of the gods who are, free, you know, frequently realize they're not true. But the way it works on the plane is this stuff gets turned and like the oral histories change so quickly uh, that, you know, what is the true history of Theros is always like a big question. And it's one of those things I kind of hope they never answer. Like, I don't actually want to know the the super duper true history of Theros. I want to know some more history about it. Like what Brian said, who was who was the first god? Like, how did the others develop? But beyond that, I hope that they keep, you know, much of Theros's past mysterious. You know what I want? I want an anthology where there are a whole bunch of purposely in like inserted inconsistencies that no one could ever trace what actually happened but it's all just in there as and stated as fact and we have no clue where the inconsistent like which stories to believe or what parts of which stories to believe (laughs) it would be so hilarious yeah exactly (laughs) let's see uh our live listeners, is there anything more you want to know about any of these poluses or the uh, world building of Theros? I've got to stretch a few more minutes out of this. So Pumpkin Bomb is asking, I would like for everyone to stop dodging the question and tell me how I can become a god. I think I've pretty much said that already. You just, you, you, you go around and impress upon people your great deeds, true or not, that you've done something amazing. And um, eventually you're worshipped as a god and people and you're, you're elevated to next. And remember, when someone asks, are you a god? You always you say, say yes. yes. That's what that's that's what Thassa did. Uh, not don't Thassa, Kiora. Don't Kiora. even think about it. Just just say yes. Kiora showed up on. Well, we're not going to talk about Kiora next time. So let me talk a little bit about Ashiok, Kiora and Dak, who are on the plane. So we're Kiora, on the plane. Kiora. Well, we're on the plane for the Dak. last block. <sighs> Daggers. Hush, hush your mouth, Brian. So, Kiora came to the plane looking for sea creatures that she could use in her fight against the Eldrazi. She wanted to claim Eric Smethes, which was a city. Uh, it's both the name of a giant kraken that mortals mistook for a island and the city on the back of that kraken that they built. Uh, the kraken eventually woke up, sunk under the sea. Everyone died. Uh, it was not a good time. <laughs> but it is a massive, powerful creature that Kira wanted to claim. She was not able to defeat Thassa. And Thassa was a little PO'd because the Tritons are like, Oh my goodness, are you, you, know, are you an avatar of Thassa, essentially? And she's like, Sure, why not? That's what I am. Lead me to the krakens. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, she and Thassa got into a battle and Thassa uh, pinned her with the Bident and Kiora grabbed the Bident and uh, planes walked away with it. And we see it again in Battle for Zendikar. Greatest thief in the multiverse. Ashiok, I alluded to a little bit earlier. Ashiok. Shush, Brian. Gosh, it just took a second for that one to process. I hate you, man. Uh, Ashiok's time on the plane, they were there to essentially study the metaphysics, just like we, we like. They essentially led a polis to ruin uh, by playing both sides and convincing these Leonin that this polis was trying to make a deal with that the polis was actually reneging and the Leonin came and basically slaughtered the city so that Phoenix could have that city for his return. Phoenix in exchange granted Ashiok invisibility from the gods, which Ashiok used to create that protocod proto god cacophony I mentioned earlier that that's a eventually is essentially immediately eight. Ifara. Ifara, thank you. Jeez, I there's like fifteen of these gods. They they get I get them mixed up in my head all the there's time. Exactly I always have to double 15. check that I wrote or said the right one. I kind of want them to do a cacophony card in it, like a commander a, pro, a commander product. <sighs> cacophony. I feel like if you're around for less than five minutes as an entity, you don't get a card. It was a god. Come on. <laughs> so anyway Dak was there because he was searching for this mysterious gauntlet uh his story ended when uh ashiok was having all these mages across the plane go go crazy while they're sleeping and attack people so he went into the underworld to stop ashiok for reasons and cliffhanger we uh, never find out what happens until he shows up and dies yeah, Good he job. shows back up in um, War of the Spark Ravnica. We learn a little bit about what happened, namely that he had to, in order to get out of the underworld, he had to trade the gauntlet to, Rav- to Ravos, who is a prophet of Athreos, who smuggled him out. And that's about all we know. And it's it's a shame. He was, he was great. Dak was mm-hmm. the best. Hashtag Dak for life. Justice. Justice for life. Mm-hmm. And at least he that, could have got Elspeth out at the same time. Thanks a lot, Dak. Some help you are. Not salty at all. So that's about all we've got for this week. Final thoughts. I am in the midst of playing both the new Pokemon game and the new Star Wars game. It was a very busy Friday last week. I am loving both of those games. So uh, here at the Vorthos cast, we have a Pokemon discussion thread that is hopping uh, for everyone in here who who enjoys the game, which is a, a quite a few of us. So uh, I'll plug it a little more at our Patreon. But if you enjoy Pokemon and you enjoy this podcast, check it out. Brian? My final thought is that uh, I named my Grookey Groku. And um, <laughs> I would love to know your your funny Pokemon names from sword and shield and uh hit me up at at mtg lord leads on twitter with your funny pokemon names i've been considering pivoting from my what i have done for the last 10 years which is name them after kaiju and pivoting towards naming them after magic characters so the new like impidimp the uh the like gobliny fairy pokemon the dark fairy pokemon i was gonna name mm. it oko and 
uh, I was going to name my um, Incineroar. Uh, I was going to name it a Johnny. <laughs> Just a few <laughs> others like that. Yeah, uh, I've been considering it. So let me know, listeners, what you think. Uh, and if you want to be a part of this discussion, you can check us out on Patreon. Uh, the show would not be possible without our wonderful Patreon subscribers. We have a fantastic time with our live listeners here. But even if you don't want to go with the live listener tier, uh, I really love this community we've built on our Discord through the Patreon. Uh, everyone here is wonderful. Turns out, when you have a bunch of people who actually want to be somewhere, you have a really nice community, as opposed to uh, some of the other discussion sites I've been a part of over the time, uh, where people don't actually want to seem to be, don't seem to want to be there. So, you know, if you want to be a part of this great community, uh, obviously, I don't usually do this Patreon pitch, so Lorelai does. <laughs> Uh, but please, you know, subscribe, uh, if you're a fan of the podcast, it really helps us out. Uh, it helped us a whole lot when, uh, GP Atlanta was here. Uh, and if we want to get more podcast get togethers, go out and meet with the fans, uh, it would just be, it'd just be a godsend. No pun intended for Thera, our therapist <laughs> podcast. Uh-huh, right. All right. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos cast.